Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, can the rock scale the skyscraper and beat Transylvania? What was the best pickup in NBA free agency? And will Build-A-Bear ever be the same after pay-your-age day? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you listening to all of our shows. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He is the man behind Humanica Media. You gotta check out all the great things they've got going on at humanicamedia.com, Humanicamedia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. It's my good friend. It's a very sleepy Josh Peterson. What's up, man? Because in a few minutes, it probably won't be you. What up, what up, what up? Yeah, a little late tonight. Good, man. Just hanging out here, ready to do some podcasting. How you doing? I'm doing well. Just back at it, we our schedules couldn't align the way we liked to today, and but still we're here to make sure that we still have a great episode for you today. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. First off, I want to go ahead and give a special shout out to two of our brand new stations, which will be airing our shows, and that's Mile High Radio and WZQR. I want to say a friendly Pop Culture Cosmos hello to you. Thank you so much for carrying our shows. We truly appreciate it and hope your listeners out there like our shows as well. We've got Anthony Barber coming up later in the episode to talk to me about some of the great things going on in NBA free agency. Plus, we've got Rob McCallum in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire. We're going to spar over Sony and whether or not Sony should focus more on entertainment and less on the electronics, and also the importance of crossplay and Fortnite on Switch. Plus, Josh and I are going to be talking a little bit about the delay in Indiana Jones 5, a new RoboCop movie coming out. Are both necessary? And is it really important for Disney as far as the Indiana Jones series is concerned? And also, to cap things off, we're going to talk about the disaster known as Pay Your Age Day at Build-A-Bear, and if this is going to hurt the company long-term with consumers. But first, it's going to be a great weekend at the box office. You still have, for a second weekend strong, you've got 
Ant-Man and the Wasp, still storming theaters. Will it be number one in the U.S.? I don't think so because there's two movies coming out that'll provide a decent challenge for it. We've got the latest movie from The Rock, Skyscraper, plus also as well a return to the animated screen for Adam Sandler as Dracula in Hotel Transylvania 3. Is there still an audience for it? Are kids and parents still going to be flocking to that film now that it's been a few weeks away from The Incredibles 2, which is still doing gangbusters all over the place? Josh, I want to hear your thoughts first on Hotel Transylvania 3 from Sony. Is this a movie that you still think can resonate with young audiences before they head back to school? Uh, Well, I think it's Sony, right? I think Sony's hoping so because they... Three is kind of the last number before a film franchise becomes redundant, especially an animated film franchise. So I think they're banking hard on that, doing well with people. I saw the trailers. You know, I I liked the first one a lot, never saw the second one. But just from seeing the trailer when I went to go see Ant-Man and Wasp, it doesn't look that great. It has uh, the whole element of the monsters and all that stuff. But what made the first one great to me was the... You know, you're kind of introducing these animated versions of these monsters that you kind of grew up with. But in the third one, it it seems to have kind of lost its flair. You know, they're going on a cruise ship and you have Van Helsing's daughter or granddaughter or whatever. And it to me, it just doesn't I'll I'll watch it still, but it just doesn't look like something that I want to rush out to the theaters to see, even if I had kids that I wanted to take. But how do you feel about it? It looks like it's the old adage where okay if you've been stuck in one place too long you try to go ahead and move the element even though you may not have a story to support it it looks like that's the case with hotel transylvania 3 where you've been in that castle aka hotel for two movies now you got to go ahead and change locales make it something different something to try to in quote unquote spice things up At this point in time, I believe you are correct. Maybe there's not enough magic left in Hotel Transylvania to get a more than, what, a one-week really big outing. I still think it's going to do enough because there is only the Incredibles 2 out as competition for the kids' fair right now. And Incredibles 2 has done so well domestically here in the U.S., it's starting to really branch out overseas but it's done so well here in the U.S., it may be time finally for something to supplant it as a number one kids movie. This could do it and take over number one at the box office. Skyscraper, my friend. It has been called at nauseum a derivative of the classic film Die Hard with Bruce Willis. This is another opportunity for The Rock to prove that he is, to a lot of people, and a lot of pundits out there, the number one box office entity out there. The last movie he was in, Rampage, did just under $100 million domestically, but garnered worldwide over $400 million total. It fell just short of becoming the number one movie worldwide when it comes to video game adaptations. So it didn't quite break the video game movie curse. I ask you, my friend, Does The Rock still have that type of, I guess, box office power to get people in to not only have a good showing, but take a movie which may not exactly be on the surface the most intriguing or 
enticing to watch and turn it into something that is going to generate a lot of money at the box office worldwide because we didn't think Jumanji was going to actually be the hit that it was. I certainly didn't think so. And I don't think I remember you telling me that either, but we went to see it and it was just like, okay, that's what it's all about. Could this be something similar to that or might it be this year's Baywatch for him? I don't know. It's hard to say. A lot of people like cheesy action movies. Like I was reading the review for it on IGN and they they agreed that it was a terrible movie, but it was entertaining. So if you're in that crowd that likes to watch like B-grade Netflix movies, it might be right up your alley, kind of like 2021 or what was the other one that the was the one that The Rock was in when it, Earthquake or San Andreas? Yeah. San Andreas. Yeah, kind of like that. I think that, you know, a movie like that with The Rock, people aren't expecting much. Like it was already being made fun of by people the moment that they put the trailer out. Yet there are people who are going to go see that this movie just because it's The Rock. You know, it's an action movie and it's something to watch. Because if you look at between now and, you know, sometime in late August, there's not really a lot of movies coming out. So people are just going to go to the movies to see something. So it's, it's a great time for a B-grade movie to be put out into theaters because there's literally nothing out there for people to watch besides Ant-Man and the Wasp that or Jurassic Park that's really going to have any traction until late August or early September. Mission Impossible Fallout, and that's pretty much it. Christopher Robin, maybe for the kids, but yeah, you're right. There's not a whole lot out there. And this is something that you and I have seen as a trend over the past couple of years that Mid to late July, we start seeing a trickle of movies coming out that are of any quality or any AAA box office status. Then after that, in August, I mean, last year, you were hoping upon all hope that Dark Tower could be that movie that would just skyrocket in August the way I believe the original Guardians of the Galaxy did so many years back. But unfortunately, that didn't seem to be the case And there's not really much on the horizon when it comes to August that a lot of people are pointing towards. Maybe that will change, but I think outside of Mission Impossible Fallout, there's no other real AAA box office, I got to go see it type movie left in the summer outlook at this point in time, unless something else shows up that's quite different. It looks like it's anybody's race on which movie might come out on top this weekend in the domestic box office and worldwide box office for that matter, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I shared my thoughts on the Monday show that I thought it was a pretty good movie and I detailed a lot more on why I thought that was the case. I want to hear your thoughts, what you thought about Ant-Man and the Wasp and whether or not it was something that really helps the Marvel Cinematic Universe along, especially in the fact that we're not going to be getting anything else until February of next year. I thought it was really good. I thought it was easy to watch. It was able to exist on its own, kind of like Black Panther did. You know, it could have been a standalone film and it was funny, had plenty of action and you didn't really have to sit there and think too hard or really delve into the mythology of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You can just kind of sit back and enjoy it it was yeah they had their callbacks like captain america and all that but the story was good the acting was good the jokes were funny they were able to carry some of the themes from the the last one into this one which were were really cool i agree with you that as a standalone film it virtually is 99.5 percent a standalone film within the mcu and stands by itself clearly like a black panther does as well 
overall, like the there was a big time gap between this and Captain America Civil War, but like it made sense, you know, it didn't bother me that much. And we wanted to know what he's been up to all this time, and they told us what he's been up to. They granted they didn't really say anything about Hawkeye, which kind of bummed me out, but I like the after credit scene where they kind of tied it all together. But now that answers our question of whether or not Wasp is going to be in the sequel. So now we're stuck wondering how Ant-Man's going to get out of the quantum realm because they really, really focus on the quantum realm in this movie. So obviously it has something to do with what's coming up in Infinity War or else it wouldn't have been placed where it was and the theme wouldn't have been so heavily emphasized on as it was in this movie. I was not disappointed in it, not at all. Hopefully we'll get the returns on what Ant-Man and the Wasp will be making the second week go-round and first in several markets. But it looks like a three-horse race between Ant-Man and the Wasp, Hotel Transylvania 3, and Skyscraper this weekend. So that is very interesting. And that's really good for us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos as well because you never know quite sure who actually will come out on top. And it's kind of interesting when it plays out like that. So definitely looking forward to updating you folks on our money show who is going to be out on top in the domestic box office but also worldwide as well what are your thoughts on hotel transylvania 3 and skyscraper and for that matter ant-man and the wasp share us your thoughts popculturecosmos at yahoo.com also as well popculturecosmos humanity media and game source on facebook and twitter as well well it's going to be a great show again like i said we have for you We've got so much to talk about. We've got Rob McCallum coming right up in the Cosmic Crossfire. But first, it's Carrie O'Sullivan Holmes. She's got a great song coming up that she sent over for us. This is Tricky, and this is the PCC Multiverse. Hey, Tricks, is this your lady? She's your lady. God bless you, up and down and smile. So fine, oh, you know you know the man. Pardon me, pardon me, it's just it puts me in the light. Do you see to step in by?
You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back with another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. But it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the man behind Rob McCallum Films. You gotta check out everything that's going on with Rob McCallum Films at robmccallumfilms.com, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, and at Rob McZob on Twitter. It's my good friend. It's Rob McCallum. You've got a lot going on, as always. Just appreciate you coming back after a little bit of an absence. It's just you were so worried, weren't you? I was kind of worried. Just kind of worried. Kind of worried. I was wondering if Thanos got you too. I don't even know what that means yet. Ah, well, you will someday. You will. But Rob, we're here to talk pop culture, and you're the man to talk to on that. So, pray tell Rob what's in your mind when it comes to pop culture. Sony stock hits a 10-year high, Gerald. This is a pretty big deal because it wasn't that long ago that they had this email hacking conundrum where information was leaked out and people were fired and things were said and notes were passed and people were in detention. Now Sony stock hits a 10-year high. We've talked about this particular angle before, and I'm going to bring it up because it came back up when this article hit. 51% of their revenue will come from movies, gaming, and music. So let's return to the question that we've pondered once or twice on the Cosmic Crossfire. Is Sony an entertainment company or an electronic supergiant? At this point in time, they're leaning more and more into an entertainment fashion because the hardware outside of the PlayStation business really hasn't been that great for them as far as all their uh, audio and video equipment. I mean, yes, they still produce quite a bit in that area, as you and I see whenever we go to CES, or whenever I go to CES, I see their huge area where they have all this other equipment that they're trying to debut and whatnot. But if all those dollars spent on all that hardware is put somewhere else into more profitable and more revenue-generating aspects of the company might prove out to be something that they might want to look into more of over the coming years, but... Because there's there's just such a glut in the marketplace of electronics that are available that can compete. Oh, like there isn't a glut of entertainment options out there either between music, movies, and gaming. But it's been something that they've done better in recent times. Even with the, well, obviously with the PlayStation 4 that they've done so well. Rumors of a PlayStation 5 coming possibly as early as fall 2019. And of course, their movies, which, you know, Sony's been... I guess on the butt of many jokes over the years with some of the decisions that they made movie-wise, but they still have the Spider-Man license and some other licenses that have proven out to be somewhat profitable. Obviously, they're back in good graces with Marvel fans with the Spider-Man Homecoming universe now, and the second movie's out and coming out next year. So 
at this point in time, maybe a larger focus on those entities that make them a little bit more profit might be probably be advisable. Maybe should, instead of just being a 50% type share between those two entities, maybe have it lean towards the entertainment side a little bit more and, and see where that goes. It's a hard thing to say though, right? Because again, Disney is merging now with Fox and or whatever it's going to be called. Disney is acquiring their assets. AT&T and Warner Brothers are, are also getting together. Can Sony even compete against those two juggernauts that are staring them down? Can you really risk turning your back on some of the, the staple money that you can always depend on with the electronic side of things to take that risk at this time? Or do you just sit back Hold your cards close to your chest. Let the gaming stuff do their thing. Put out a few good movies. Maybe make sure you don't get a bunch more Ghostbuster reboot things happening of that ilk. And just see how the landscape trans- transforms the next year. I don't think the next five years is is a good time to take a risk in, in the entertainment industry. No, as far as the entertainment industry is concerned. But what they have as far as, like you said, that staple money with all the, the components that they make is... They're thought of in many levels of the electronics industry as something that's a little bit higher end as far as the price is concerned. In only a few categories could they be considered the leader in that industry. And maybe it's just something they might want to look into more. Maybe just even if it's just a little bit as far as in the right direction, because they've in the past few years of recent times, you and I both have got to admit that they've they've done a pretty fair job of trying to become a better company when it comes to the entertainment industry aspect of it and obviously the gaming industry even though the matter of crossplay when it comes to the playstation could hurt them and impact their sales going forward yeah i'm not all that concerned about crossplay to be honest given the numbers that they got there i think crossplay is going to really only affect a small margin of people i don't think it's gonna really affect Sony's bottom line. And I think when it comes to electronics, well, they may not be the leader with their Bravia series TVs or anything specific and and hardware side. They're always consistently in the top three or the top five of manufacturers, which is a pretty nice place to be, given that some markets don't have a lot of competition, especially in in Asia and, and the other parts of the world. So I think that Sony needs just to sit back, especially with that bond license still undecided. You know, sit back and and see what's what. Maybe look at some acquisition side for for film companies and, and other distributors instead of trying to do more original content. I disagree with you on the aspect of crossplay. I do believe it's becoming an important part of the. Uh, I think people are making it vocal. That doesn't mean it's important. There's well, a difference. I, I think it will become a more important part of the game space and universe, especially with Microsoft and Nintendo actually making vocal efforts to become more friendly with each other on that aspect. And when the biggest game that's out there, Fortnite, has become a lightning has become an awesome hit on Nintendo Switch. Oh, wait, it hasn't. And actually, it has. It got too many downloads the first day. And well, when you, when you announce it at E3 that it's available now, you're going to get a lot of downloads. But how many actual active accounts and users are there for that? Look no further than Pokemon Go Go's drop off when it was announced too. Same with what Mitomo, huge numbers the first week, and then absolutely crickets after. Well, well, Pokemon Go is almost at the point of its original startup at this point in time because Pokemon Go has found a new 
I guess, a, a rise in popularity over recent months in 2018, almost to the point where it was when it originally started. So, I so okay, so come that. talk to me in 18 months when Fortnite actually, you know, figures out what to do right and engage their, their, their hardcore fan base again, because those installs are not getting are not the same as active users. All right, all right. Um, I don't know. I'm uh, we're, I'm not at Epic, so I can't give you an official response or throw out numbers at you. Well, why not? Well, you know, because I don't work for them. I'm sorry. You gotta have this information ready if you're gonna talk about it. All I can tell you is <laughs> 125 million, man. That's the only number I could throw at you. Is 125 million are active users when it comes to Fortnite. 125 million users right now. Two million, like I said, on its first day. And so 125 million users, less than two percent are on Nintendo Switch. No, I said two million on the first day. Right. So how many how many users are on Nintendo Switch now? I would probably say it's over half the users have at least downloaded the game on Nintendo Switch platform. So what does that so make? So half the Switch owners, four, is that what you're saying? I'd probably say half the Switch owners. Four uh was that make it four, five, six million right now? At this so point it's still like three percent, I'm just right. You, as as Nintendo, right? as the Nintendo. So how can a three percent install base really force a matter of crossplay affecting Sony because they haven't got on board? You throw the Xbox One users, the PC users in there, and then you mentioned you know we that. mentioned consoles and you mentioned Xbox and Nintendo. Nintendo's adaption of Fortnite is not going to make Sony scared. I uh, know. I'm not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fans requesting crossplay. I'm talking about the voice that they generate together. The PC users, the Xbox One users, and the Nintendo Switch users all coming together to ask for crossplay. It's been a controversy over the past few weeks that has been created because of Sony's unwillingness to go ahead and bend and yield towards the crossplay platform for their gaming. I guess they don't need to. It's an issue now. It's a small mm-hmm. issue now, but it could become a, a larger issue. Yeah. I don't, point th- where I don't think it's an issue. An issue is a word that seems really harsh, like it's a thorn in the side of Sony. And I don't think it is, given the numbers that they've got on their side with consoles sold and other games that are selling. Well, it's the future of PlayStation at this point in time, with, with PlayStation 4 going on the latter end of stages of its sales when it comes to the PlayStation 5 coming around the corner. That might be a bigger concern that we might be seeing that consumers want and out of their gaming consoles going forward. Perhaps, but that also when you start doing cross-play stuff, you really reduce the exclusivity of the console and the system that you're promoting. Because yeah. that, then why do, why do I have to get a Sony console when I can get any other console to play this big popular game? It's so, all about so, the exclusives and the, uh, exactly. the online play or in the case of the Switch, the portability. But people still want to play with other people that they know. And if they're on other platforms, it's always makes the game experience better. And at least at this point in time, Xbox, Nintendo, they're at least cooperating to the point where they want to create that friendly environment. If even if it takes market share away from PlayStation at this point in time. Well, I'm, I'm all for their happy little circle of flowers. I suppose. I don't think it's going to be a, a big issue in the meadow that Sony owns. I think Sony's going to have to plant their own seeds and and be a part of the party just yet. Well, fine, fine. That's that's how you believe. I I, I can respect that, but I will say this: that if they don't keep on doing the right things, their market share will go down and their profitability will be affected by it. But 
We'll have to wait. You know, what kind of broad statement is that? If they don't do the right things, this is how you set that phrase up. If you don't do the right things, you won't have a good job and get a mortgage and, and be somebody worthwhile. If you don't do the right things, this is one of those moments where you have to clarify yourself, Gerald. If you don't do the right things, what is that? If they don't take the right steps, how about that? That's so that broad. Just, that's so broad, so generic. Well, you know, like I said, I can't predict the future for Sony. They made some right moves recently, obviously rebooting the Spider-Man franchise and getting in bed with Marvel. That's been a great move for them. But they've also made some uh, missteps in the past, as you noted in the beginning of the segment before you trashed me. Then uh, it's just, like I said, <laughs> they just got to keep on going with, you know, pretty good steps in order to go ahead and progress further as a company. But I, I still think that they should lean more on the entertainment side at this point in time. You've missed me, haven't you? Dearly, dearly, my friend. Yeah, it's wicked that I'm back. And more coffee, more coffee. I, have, I haven't had coffee for a while. Imagine if I had a cup. Oh my gosh, I would just be crying right now. Yeah, close to tears. Rob, it's always great having you a part of the show, my friend. Maybe next week? Not moving anywhere, are you? I don't know. We'll see. Keep you uh, anticipated. It's a it's a lose-lose, I think, Gerald, because if I'm not back next week, a little less content, a little less fun. But if I am back next week, it's a little bit more harassment, a little bit more aggravation. I can't wait for that. I just can't wait. Well, Rob, it's always great having you part of the show and, of course, a part of the Cosmic Crossfire. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. So great to have you listening to us. This is Gerald from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Josh, Indiana Jones 5. I'll tell you what, man. I just don't think that the Indiana Jones series has gotten much love at all from Lucasfilm since Disney purchased it. I want to ask you, my friend, it got delayed now until 2021 when at the time it does eventually release, if it holds that date, Harrison Ford will actually be closing in on 80 years old. Is there a point in time where they should just go ahead and say, Harrison, you've done a great job with Indiana Jones. It's time to go ahead and get some new blood in there. We are pretty much sure that they're going to do a type of transitional deal anyways in Indiana Jones 5. But if they keep delaying this, this is not only unfair to the audience, but to Harrison Ford as well. Right. And it makes you wonder, too, why they're delaying it. Because from what I understand, Han Solo's dead. So he's not going to be coming back in any Star Wars films anytime soon. So... Uh, you know, his schedule should be pretty open. But granted, we've already waited a very long time, but it just kind of makes it seem when you keep pushing a movie back further and further, it makes it not only seem like there are problems on the production side, but maybe like they don't have a lot of faith in it. And maybe there's something going on behind the scenes at Lucasfilms too. Like we, that whole thing with Kathleen Kennedy and, you know, Bob Iger, we don't know what's going on. Like there could be something big happening back there, but with the Star Wars films not doing so great, it seems like the time to cash in on an Indiana Jones film would be now while they kind of get their act together. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, the market is open for that kind of thing. And now we're reading about Uncharted. So who knows? Maybe Uncharted will scoop in and, you know, take 
that adventurer action flick that we haven't gotten in a long time well with the exception of tomb raider which didn't do so well at the box office but yeah i mean the market's wide open for a movie of that genre and if indiana jones isn't going to take it then it seems like somebody else might be smart enough to do that and josh is saying this because nathan fillion of firefly fame and so many other great shows that he's been a part of he recently, I guess, sent out on social media an image that kind of reminds people of the Uncharted series, and that could be something that he's been long a favorite of many people out there to portray the lead character, Nathan Drake, of the video game series. He's been a favorite by a lot of people out there to play that role in a movie if and when it should come out. The last time we heard about the Uncharted movie series, it was thought that Tom Holland had tried to, and actually very successfully, got a hold of that series from Sony and said, hey, I want to make a young version of Nathan Drake and a younger version of Uncharted, which the Uncharted video game series has dabbled in from time to time as well. I wasn't in love with it, and I know I expressed that to you at that point in time when it was you know, kind of let in or announced or whatnot. I was telling you my favorite would have been Scott Eastwood, who I think is a dead ringer for Nathan Drake and thought what he would be doing well in the role. I didn't think Nathan Fillion was still interested in it, but it looks like that could be the case. And and hopefully something will materialize because, as you know, my friend, I am one of the biggest Uncharted fans on the planet and would love to see that movie materialize at some point in time. When it comes to Indiana Jones 5 being delayed to July of 2021 they have claimed it was script issues that they needed to go over before steven spielberg gets to helm another chance another opportunity at this but harrison ford only has so many years left doing these type of action movies i don't know if he wants to kill off this character too because we know how much he wanted to kill off his han solo character he didn't kill off his blade runner character in the excellent And might I say for the 19,000th time, the number one movie for Pop Culture Cosmos in 2017, Blade Runner 2049. He liked that character enough to keep that one going. Will he do the same in this time? I don't think at this point in time he would. I think it's going to be some sort of transitional change and pass off. I don't think it's going to be Shia LaBeouf at this point in time. I think he's already ruined that opportunity. Maybe to a Chris Pratt has been rumored, but we'll have to wait and see on that. But Delaying it to 2021 tells me that the Indiana Jones series, the Indiana Jones saga, is not as important to Lucasfilm as I believe it should be, as I think you believe it should be as well, Josh. And to me, that's kind of disappointing that it's not higher on the priority totem pole at Lucasfilm, especially in the light of what has happened with Solo. Yeah, it just kind of makes you lose faith in Lucas Films just a little bit, especially since the last Indiana Jones wasn't that great, though a lot of people will now argue that the hatred for it was overrated, but it doesn't make sense to me like why this decision's going down. And like you said, yeah, Harrison Ford is aging. So I mean, unless there's some kind of plan to bring him back into Star Wars, there's no reason why they should be taking this long to shoot the movie. And if they're saying it's because they're filming Star Wars, if you look at their schedule they're going to be filming star wars every year up until like 2030 so it doesn't make sense and it makes it seem like 
at this point, the franchise, the Indiana Jones franchise is just kind of in limbo. They're making movies just because they have the license. So it makes you wonder, is it going to be good or is it just something to uh, throw out in theaters because they can? Don't be starting those Han Solo resurrection theories because Twitter and the internet has been spreading that as of late. It's gotten to the point where it started to make the rounds in the news outlets and things of that nature. And I actually shared one on our Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page. So let's not get that started and, and because people just got to leave that alone. And let's move the Star Wars franchise in a positive and different direction. Solo's dead. Harrison Ford wanted to kill him off in the return of the jedi to give you an idea he does not want to play that role no matter how much money you throw at him one more time well maybe not because maybe i'm sure they threw a lot of money at him in the first place maybe he would i don't know but i don't think he does indiana jones needs to be a higher priority but unfortunately that's not going to be the case for lucasfilm as we will not be seeing it until july of 2021 i know you and i'll be excited for it even with the disappointing results of the number four edition the indiana jones and the crystal skull that was a disappointment in my book but they have time to recoup themselves you know with indiana jones films it's always the odd number films that are the best ones with robocop and that's another movie from the past in the 80s that is getting resurrected from what it looks like again because they uh, already tried to do that already. It looks like it is being resurrected with Neil Blomkamp, who is famous from District 9, who was going to direct the Halo movie, which at this point in time looks like it's actually going to become a series, I believe on Showtime, if I'm not mistaken, that I reported on. But it looks like at this point in time, Neil Blomkamp will be the director of the next installment and the reboot of the reboot of RoboCop. So I ask you this, my friend, it's going to be, I guess, a direct correlation to the first film. And I think everything else is going to be swept under the rug. Is this a good move to resurrect the RoboCop film? And are you excited to see the RoboCop character on the big screen once again? Yeah, I'll I'll be honest. RoboCop was kind of before my time. I saw the reboot that started the guy from Altered Carbon, but you know, it, it was, it was okay. I didn't hate it, but I'm curious how they're going to bring the old franchise back into favor. Cause from what I understand, they're doing the same thing with Conan the Barbarian. And like, I don't, I don't really understand that. Like, I feel like movies from the eighties, you know, once the, the franchise is dead, it should stay dead. I mean, with the exception of Blade Runner, obviously, but there are very few exceptions. And I agree with you on that. I mean, RoboCop I guess is a reminder of the hyper graphic violent times and things that we were able to accept as audiences in the 1980s, as opposed to what they're showing now, as far as PG 13 movies are concerned. Uh, I don't think if you saw that then, and you put that type of context now in, in movies, it would still get a PG 13 rating, but be that as it may, I thought it was the Robocop was a great story. It has never been follow-up with anything close to even touching that movie. Any of the follow-ups have been thoroughly dismal, in my opinion, and thoroughly unwatchable. So I would have to be convinced that this is going to be actually a solid flick at all. If you're going to go ahead and do it, I would throw something different out at you, my friend. How about this? If you're going to go ahead and use that license because it's gathering dust and you want to make some cash off of it, why not make it and evolve it into a series 
and evolve that aspect of the new Detroit, seeing that aspect, trying to do a little bit of uh, stories from behind the scenes, you know, as, as far as the, the underworld of that concept, plus also a lot of the messages and themes in the actual Robocop film from Paul Verhoeven. That was actually some of the best parts about some of his movies that were there, including Robocop was not just the movie and the story, but the sub stories and the subcontext and the messages that he was always trying to send to audiences as you watch the film. Why not put it on a streaming service and have it play out over a series on either a broadcast cable or a streaming service as well? Well, you still run into the problem that people don't know much about the franchise and they don't really care about it that much anymore, except people who grew up with it, obviously. And if Blade Runner really proved anything, it's that things that were made that long ago, people aren't going to rush out to see them. Like the only reason Blade Runner got traction after it came out on Blu-ray or whatever is because it was nominated for uh, for several awards. But RoboCop is definitely not something that that's going to happen to. So the big problem, too, is like you want to make a RoboCop. They rebooted it. Make a sequel to that. Don't try to revive something that that's that old. And also, from what I understand, there it's not taking place after RoboCop 3. It's a sequel to the first one, right? It, it's basically canceling out all the canon. And if you ask me, like, that is super confusing. Like, what is the point? Like, what? I, I want to know what they're hoping to accomplish because the last thing Neil Blomkamp was uh, attached to was also a sequel to Alien that was going to cancel out two of the sequels too. So it, it just seems like they don't really know what they're doing. They're just getting ready to fire in all directions and hope that something catches. But RoboCop is dangerous. It's not something that I would make a movie and, you know, make another sequel to. And personally, like, yeah, it'd be cool to have it as like a Netflix series and have it explain origins you know in a better case or may maybe have it be like an evolution of the original film but i just i don't see this doing that well in the box office because it's it's barely even considered a classic right now what are your thoughts out there on indiana jones 5 and the proposed robocop film want to hear your thoughts on that Pop Culture Cosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. When we come back, Anthony Barberin, he's going to be talking about the NBA free agency this year and also the prospects for the Lakers, the Thunder, and the Houston Rockets as they challenge the Warriors in the Western Conference this year. This is the PCC Multiverse. Nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten-free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, Head on over to www.wheelieq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. PCC Multiverse listeners, act now and get 15% off your order today just by entering the promo code POD2. That's P-O-D and the number 2 at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com.
Welcome back once again. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, and Inside Sports. We're right in the middle of the heat of the summer here in Vegas. It's the NBA Summer League. But also as well, we're winding down with NBA free agency. Most of the players that are out there, whether they're unrestricted or restricted, have been signed up. They've been committed to teams either short or long term. A lot of decisions have been made. A lot of teams have been affected by it. And I know the league in a certain couple of, I guess, decisions that were made are up in arms over. And here to break it down with me is my good friend. He is the man in the know when it comes to the NBA. It is Anthony Barberin. Anthony, as always, it's great to have you on the program. It's great to be here, man. I always enjoy it. It all starts with what you think is the biggest acquisition, I'm sure, and that is, well, it's not Zaza Pachulia to the Detroit Pistons, but it is LeBron James. He did make his decision, and that word always comes with an asterisk. He did make his decision. Your thoughts on him moving to the Los Angeles Lakers? It is a commitment, probably more of personal lifestyle, a family choice, and maybe as far as business-related as well. But how does this impact the Western Conference, the NBA, and, of course, the Los Angeles Lakers as well? To be honest, I mean, it's, that's a, that's the best acquisition you can make. You know, there's no better player to get. So the Lakers, you know, where uh, you got to give them an A-plus you know, so far in free agency for what they've done, getting LeBron, getting Rajon Rondo, and also not rushing into everything else, trying so hard to build a team around him that they are just signing anybody or giving up too much to get a player. And I think for that franchise, I think you got him for four years. And for all intents and purposes, I mean, anybody else at this point would probably be out of theirs, but uh, LeBron is still pretty much though the end of it in his prime, and, and you'll probably get four great years out of him. I think in the Western Conference uh, standings and, and the playoff picture, I think it pushes them into the playoff picture, and that's the thing because you know they they finished outside. I think they were you know in the top ten, thirty five wins last year. Yes, you're right in tenth place. And you know what LeBron does. I mean, LeBron is a is a 55 plus win superstar you know that's what he does that's how great he is when he comes to your team expect to win you know 50 plus games and i think they will i think they'll they'll push up to 50 probably around 55 wins and i think that'll put them um unfortunately in the western conference anywhere from you know the third seed through maybe the 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 fifth or sixth seed Probably more around the fourth seat, though they're probably in that in that end up around that third or fourth spot, unless Houston just crumbles. I just see still see them with their pace and the way they play and the way they shoot. They're in the regular season, racking up a bunch of wins. Same thing with Golden State, and also you know the Lakers aren't a finished product yet. I think 2019 is when you'll really see them put together the team to try and really compete with Golden State to 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 get that championship. And I agree with you outside of maybe I think 55 is a little high. I think I'd probably say 50 to 52. 
Paul George decided to forego his love that he had professed for the Lakers. Said, in, in fact, that, oh, well, you should have traded for me in the first place. Like the Lakers knew that in 100%. So be that as it may, he did resign and commit to a Oklahoma City team. What are your odds on Oklahoma City being a competitive team in a Western Conference now that they have re-signed Paul George and leading into a competitor to the Houston Rockets as well? Your thoughts on them because they've lost Luke Mabu Amute to your team again. He returns to the Clippers and then also Trevor Reza to the Suns as well. Well, first off with Oklahoma City, I had a feeling Paul George, I had that feeling that he would he would return there. The thing about Paul George is Paul George has been in his entire time with the Indiana Pacers, the lone superstar. His and Danny Granger's time really didn't cross when they were both, you know, at the top of their game. And so Paul George had been the lone guy and he played a super team in with Wade and Bosch and, and LeBron. And you you saw then what he can do. But this is the first time that he's played with another superstar where everything's not on his shoulders. And he can actually admire somebody else's game and 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 playing with that person and his approach to the game. I actually think the Carmelo thing, them subtracting him from that roster is going to help them improve. I think they'll be better defensively overall. And they don't have to worry about a guy who we have to get the ball to in order to keep happy. But I also think, and I've said this, I think Billy Donovan has to come up with some kind of offensive system instead of just watching your superstars go one-on-one. But I think they are a contender in the West. I don't think that they will they can compete or challenge the, the top two in Golden State and Houston. But they'll be, again, around that third, fourth, fifth spot in the Western Conference. Houston, it's bad losing Ariza. Um, I actually think they overpaid for Chris Paul in this stage in his career. $160 million is, is a lot for a 33-year-old point guard who's not super athletic. He's not the healthiest guy in the world. So you use a lot of your cap on keeping him around, and you lose Bamute, and you lose Trevor Ariza. And, you know, now you're at a standstill, uh, stagnant with Clint Capella, who's a huge part of their team. I think, though, defensively, so the Ariza and the Bamute thing hurts them defensively. It absolutely hurts them defensively. Offensively, I don't think it really hinders them too much. I think they just signed, I believe, James Ennis today. But you got a guy like Gerald Green who, in my opinion, you can slide him into that spot. He knocks down threes. He's athletic. He runs up and down the floor. He jumps out of the gym. Offensively, I don't think it really it, it, it hinders them too much. I think defensively what you lose with Trevor Ariza and Bob Mute, that remains to be seen, and I think it will hurt them. But I still think offensively they have enough firepower where they'll be the second team in the West. I agree with you on that. But when come playoff time, I believe they are going to regret not picking up those two contracts. In the case of Trevor Reza, where Phoenix just outpriced everyone by a substantial margin, I can understand that. But Luke Mabu Hamute, then again, you should be worried about that when you signed, like you said, Chris Paul to a four-year, $160 million contract paying him anywhere close to $40 million when he reaches 38 or 39, I believe, at the end of the contract is, is just, it's insane. But yeah, wait, you know, that's that's the beauty of the NBA free agency market. 
I guess if you want to commit to the short term with somebody, sometimes you got to commit to the long term as well. So if they wanted to keep Chris Paul for at least another year or two as a viable top shelf point guard, then I guess you got to pay for the other two that he might actually not be at that level anymore. Anthony, as always, it's great to have you on the program. And of course, a part of the pop culture cosmos and right here at Inside Sports. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. Really want to thank, first off, Rob McCallum from Rob McCallum Films for joining us once again in the Cosmic Crossfire. Anthony Barberin, our man in the know when it comes to the NBA. And Kerry O'Sullivan Holmes, thank you so much for sending in that great song. If you have a song out there that you want to send as an independent artist that you wouldn't mind playing on our show that gets played all over the world on many different radio outlets, hey, share it with us, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Before we head on out, my friend, I got to hear your thoughts on this. A lot of people were very upset this week when it comes to Build-A-Bear workshops. I know we're we're reaching low this time, my friend, but hey, it's part of pop culture. Build-A-Bear workshops this week actually set a day aside and promoted it heavily for what they called Pay Your Age Day. And what that means was if you're, I think it was from $1 to $29. If you had a child that was one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, then all you would be paying for one of their Build-A-Bears, get you go ahead and build, you know, you put the little outfits on, you stuff it and whatnot for just as low as whatever their age is. If you got a kid, one, it's $1. Got another kid, two, $2, 10-year-old, $10, all the way up to $29. The lines for these at malls across America were outrageous. They reminded me of the waits back in the day for the Star Wars films back in the 80s, my friend. They were literally going a mile long. I was watching on social media, not only here in Las Vegas, but in Southern California, back east, Midwest, all over the place. And sure enough, they were only at the Build-A-Bear stores able to go ahead and meet a very, very small percentage of these consumers, not even just fathoming or not even realizing the interest and the interest level that would exceed so much by their expectations and they weren't ready to handle it at all and they actually had to cancel after a very short period of time even before some of these malls and, st- and stores were actually open they actually had to cancel it close stores and only a select few actually got to go ahead and collect on that promotional ad campaign so I ask you, my friend, did Build-A-Bear actually blow it big time? And in the long run, is this going to cost them as a company with consumers when they're thinking about buying something like that or going into that because they're going to remember that this was such a raw deal and such a fiasco on a major, major level? I think if anything, it'll teach them to be more prepared next time. 
you know, they weren't expecting the crowds that they got and they weren't really prepared for what was going to happen. I think because Build-A-Bear is pretty expensive, you know, just kind of a uh, opportunity they were going after to try to get more people into the shop. And I think it backfired on them. So I honestly, if I, to be honest, if I were working on a Build-A-Bear store, I would have never thought that there would be lines, you know, wrapped around the block or anything, but they should have at least given those people vouchers who were there and didn't get their bear because that in itself is kind of false advertising. But I think that they do need to do something to make up to the customers. And if anything, next time they need to be more prepared for having some kind of sale like that because people like to pay less money for things. And this has kind of just proven that. Well, the damage control forces are out in abundance when it comes to build a bear workshops. They did provide with some, and I'm going to repeat that, some and only some with those vouchers you were talking about, but for a flat $15 from what I'm able to ascertain. So if you still had a kid that wanted was three years old or four years old or five years old that were in line and due for a $3, $4, $5 bear, mind you, the $15 voucher, if you were lucky enough to get one, still means it's a substantial savings over what would be a normally priced Build-A-Bear with all the add-ons and stuff like that, which actually can cost upwards of $50 to $60 U.S. market. But still, that's still not sending the right message because you didn't get that out to everybody. Now, they're still saying through their social media, the same social media that said in earnest, we got to cancel this, we got to cancel this that they're going to try and rectify this somehow, which I guess is kind of a, a fail-safe at this point in time. But I think this is going to do damage to the company long-term. Well, it's not going to put them out of business per se, but you don't have people waiting this long in lines. Several hours long was the estimated wait time in certain areas all across the country. And right now, several parts of the country, including Las Vegas, and I know where you live in the Orange County area, have high degrees of weather right now. We're talking well over 100 degrees. These parents, these moms, these dads, and these kids, most importantly, had to wait for hours before they got the bad news on this. I think that's atrocious. I think that's it was very narrow-minded in their thinking of doing this. They thought this would be this like this fun little thing. But anytime these retail outlets do these type of things where there is a substantial savings, there's big crowds. It never fails. There's always big crowds for it that's generated. They should have understood this much more clear. And I think it's going to hurt them in the long run. And I think it's going to at least for a while impact their business sales overall. What are your thoughts out there on the Build-A-Bear fiasco known as Pay Your Age Day? Did you get caught up into it? We'd love to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, it's been a great episode coming up Monday. Like I said, we're going to update everybody on what went on at the movie box office, plus give our thoughts on some of the best deals that are going to be coming out for the huge, as always, Amazon Prime Day. So definitely looking forward to that. I believe we're also going to have Jay Bartlett talking about the major TV deal that Overwatch and Blizzard just struck for future episodes of the Overwatch League. That is a big deal in esports, so you got to check out his interview coming up, I believe, on the Monday show as well. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. 
It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC Multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Okay, let's talk about the Flopcast. Where every week we drink a lot of coffee and we talk about comic books, movies, conventions, music, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, don't forget the coffee. Lots of weird, obscure pop culture stuff from the 70s and 80s. And chickens. Yeah, chickens. This will be the stupidest half hour of your week. We guarantee it. You can find us on the ESO Network. And... Flopcast.net. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network. Your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.